Chapter Twelve of the Heart of Philura by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve Millstones and Opportunities. Despite the minister's perfectly just remark concerning millstones of fear as related to the necks of other and innocent persons, Mrs. Pettibone continued to indulge small, fluttering anxieties regarding Milly Orne whom she had undoubtedly helped to precipitate into a new and untried way of life. That Milly had actually gone to work for the hills, she had heard from that well-nigh omniscient person, Mrs. Buckthorn. Mrs. Buckthorn, as was entirely natural for a person athirst for general information, had learned of the circumstance from the grocery man in the village, who had actually seen Milly at work in Mrs. Hill's kitchen. Mr. Obed Salter, in the act of wrapping up a quarter of a pound of mixed tea and a tin can of baking powder, just purchased by the excellent matron, averred that he was somewhat surprised to see the girl down on her hands and knees scrubbing up the floor. He didn't suppose the Orns was that bad off, though they hadn't bought no bill of groceries to speak of for a spell back. Mr. Salter's position enabled him to keep, as it were, a sort of commercial barometer, which apprised him and other persons in his confidence very exactly of the varying rises and falls in the finances of his customers. If the wife of the local undertaker, for example, bought lavishly and paid promptly for provisions of the better sort kept in stock by Mr. Salter, that astute gentleman guessed there was considerable sickness and death around. So likewise, Items occupying several debit pages of his ledger devoted to the household consumption of Tiff's and the jeweller indicated the fact that folks wouldn't buy nothing they didn't have to these days. Yes, m'am, said Mr. Salter, addressing himself to Mrs. Buckthorn with philosophical seriousness. This here is a queer world any way you can look at it. Setting right here in my store, I can tell which way the cat's going to jump nine times out of ten. The tenth time's got me guessin'. <laughs> he smiled darkly into his change drawer. Mrs. Buckthorn dropped two nickels and a penny into her purse. Do you go out there often? she propounded, intelligently linking Mr. Salter's metaphor with an earlier statement. Oh, you mean the old Eggleston place? Well, I get out there about oh, three times a week, regular. We don't deliver for goods, as a rule, I says to Mrs. Hill, and we don't run no bills. As to that, she says, I don't mind. I'll pay when you bring the stuff. <laughs> they got a horse, and they seems to have a young feller round there with nothing to do. No, they ain't doing nothing with the farm. Ain't even planted a garden patch. Can't make em out exactly. Seem to have money aplenty. I fetch em butcher's meat days the cart ain't you. But she's hard to suit, Mrs. Hillis. Wants things I never heard of before. Anchovies and papriki and Italian oils in tins and I dunno what all. Mrs. Hill, I says, ain't no call for them goods in this here town. If you want em, I says, and can pay for em, I guess I can get em for you. Plain, honest fiddles, I says, is good enough for the run of my customers. What they here for, anyhow? inquired Mrs. Buckthorn, with a comprehensive sniff of disapproval, but an eye intent on the crux of the matter. 
the strange articles of food particularized by mr salter inspired in her an active suspicion embracing the persons who exhibited such unnatural appetites and desires fleshly lusts mrs buckthorn characterized them rolling the pauline phrase under her tongue with pious unction mr salter leaned across his counter upon confidential elbows well now that's what i'd like to know and i put it up to milly orne kind of pointedly only yesterday what sort of folks be they i says to milly now you come to know em intimate mm, what did milly say i don't know em intimate she says hmph commented mrs buckthorn acidly she must know whether or not they're christian people well that's what i says to milly ask the blessin regular at table i says and what do you think she says to that mrs buckthorn shook her head which sustained a massive structure bristling with sharp pointed feathers of excellent wearing qualities and fearsome aspect i'm sure i can't imagine mr salter she replied in a tone which while anticipating the worst was piously prepared for it i don't eat with em she says so i can't tell you that's what she says mr salter's face expressed a subtle enjoyment of mrs buckthorn's astonishment milly orne eating at second table well i never many's the time she's at at sociables in the church parlour and at sunday school picnics right along with my own children for all what's past and gone milly don't eat at no second table neither supplemented mr salter still enjoyably she was having her dinner in the kitchen when i got there oh not that i don't eat in the kitchen myself what's the use i tell the wife of mussing up two rooms with victuals besides griddle cakes taste better right smack off the griddle you can't beat my wife's buckwheats no matter what you do <laughs> mrs buckthorn turned to depart the boasting reference to mrs salter's buckwheats jarred upon her sensibilities everybody knew jane salter couldn't cook anything fit to eat i'm afraid the hills ain't my kind of folks she observed moving majestic towards the door her brown paper bag clasped in both hands it's a rule of my life she stated to the pastor's wife when recounting the substance of her conversation with mr salter to say no more than that about anybody folks are either my kind or they ain't if they ain't i can't help it all i can do is to pray for them that's what i tell the deacon mrs pettibone's ingenuous blue eyes expressed a resigned interest in this buckthornian view of one's duty to one's neighbours so you think oh, she hesitated that milly isn't happy with the hills happy echoed mrs buckthorn sonorously happy oh no my dear philura i said nothing with regard to milly orne's happiness why should she be happy you and i know a girl of milly's antecedents ought to consider only her duty well, that's what she's trying to do mrs pettibone made haste to reply she's working to earn money for her grandparents i guess they need it conceded mrs buckthorn with severity i don't take milk of em no more in reply to mrs pettibone's surprised inquiries she stated that the orns had lost their best cow and that for her part she would never encourage anyone to put water in their milk however needy 
she added darkly that she would say no more. Mrs. Pettibone did not report the matter in detail to Mr. Pettibone. He appeared to expect an exalted philosophy of life from her, which she was very far from constantly practising. Old habits of thought, like miasmatic mists, were always closing blindly about her, and it was often difficult, if not impossible, to remember that the only reality in the universe was the all-encircling good. As she walked quite alone in the direction of the Orne cottage, she was striving to bring vividly into the foreground of consciousness the wonderful truth as it had first dawned upon her bewildered mind that day in Boston. It had seemed to her then so astoundingly simple, so sweetly natural, that a wayfaring man, though a fool, might not err therein. Well, she was not a wayfaring man, nor yet a fool, and perhaps that was the root of the trouble. A fool would not be troubled with doubts, perplexities, and vain hopes, nor even with the knowledge of a faded photograph well hidden from view between the leaves of a blotter. Mrs. Pettibone, walking sedately in her second-best alpaca, thought with a little pang of her husband, whom she had left at his writing-table, busily engaged upon his Sunday evening sermon for young people. She had become increasingly scrupulous and painstaking of late, whenever it became necessary to disturb the ministerial privacy with calls from the outside world, pausing before the study door with a gentle cough of warning, or a cautious and prolonged fumbling of the doorknob. If he should chance to be looking at the picture, she felt she couldn't bear it. Old Mrs. Orne was a little stiff in her demeanour to her pastor's wife when she opened the door of the cottage to Mrs. Pettibone's knock. She had remarked more than once to Grandfather that Milly had no call to go to the parsonage for advice and counsel so long as she was above the ground, and had pointedly announced her intention of giving Mrs. Pettibone a good piece of her mind when opportunity offered. But opportunity, when it finally arrived, wore so sweet and patient a smile was so gentle and sympathetic in manner, with eyes so blue and a childish brows, and small feet scarcely touching the floor from the height of Mrs. Orne's best rush-bottomed chair, that the old woman's simmering resentment somehow vanished into thin air. "'I'm glad you come,' Mrs. Orne said. "'I've been wanting to talk to you about Milly. "'You know she's... Oh, maybe you put it into her head to work out. "'I kind of got that idea.' Well, not exactly, she said. Millie came to tell me that she was most anxious to... She paused to choose her words with guileless duplicity. Dear Millie felt, now she was quite grown up, she wanted to help. And so, smiling timidly, I spoke to her of Mrs. Hill. She seemed in great need of someone to assist. And Millie is such a... Millie's a smart girl and she's a good girl declared Grandma Orne, nodding her head. They don't need nobody to tell me that. But I wanted she should stay right here along of Grandpa and me till she got married. Mrs. Pettibone murmured sympathy and assent. She ain't got no lack of bows, the old woman went on boastfully. Two or three of has been here this week pestering me about Millie, and I didn't want to tell them she was working out would spoil her chance with such likely young fellows as Seth Marvin and Ben Buckthorn and Mrs. Pettibone coughed deprecatingly. But if Millie isn't, well, if she doesn't, 
A girl like Milly can't marry without... Well, now, I hope you didn't go and encourage her in that, Mrs. Orne interrupted shrilly. Falling in love, taking a fancy, <laughs> land. I'd rather she married some good honest fellow with a few acres of land in his own right. Nate Scrimger wants to build her house with a porch across the front and a sink in the kitchen. I heard him tell her so. <laughs> but Milly, she didn't take no fancy to Nate, so he's quick coming. Oh, but you fell in love with Mr. Orne, suggested Mrs. Pettibone pacifically. Didn't you? That ain't neither here nor there, said Mrs. Orne with dignity. You don't come across no young fellers like Grandpa was in his young days. Seems twas only yesterday he come riding up in his horse to see me. Me wearing my new blue calico trimmed with ruffles. <laughs> because I suspicioned he was coming that day. The yellow roses was all in blow. I remember I picked a big posy of them and put them in the window. Thinks I... Maybe you'll notice it. He was always fond of flowers, Caleb was. But he didn't even look at them. He jumps off his horse and comes straight to where I was sitting, pretending not to notice and overhanding a seam like all possessed. Millicent, he says. <laughs> the old voice quavered into a silence Mrs. Pettibone did not break. Through the small, paned window, she could see Grandfather Orne's stooped figure in its patched blue shirt, busy among the ordered row of vegetables. Perhaps he too was thinking of the day when straight and tall he had leapt off his horse and come straight to the girl, shyly intent upon her sewing, with the words of a masterful wooing upon his lips. Mrs. Orne sighed presently. I've been up there, she said fretfully. To see Milly? I wanted to find out what kind of folks there was. Mrs. Pettibone's eyes expressed a gentle interest mingled with doubt. Well, she murmured. The old woman leaned forward, her knotted hands resting on her knees. I dunno, she said and shook her head. I dunno. You mean you, you didn't? Oh, I seen em, all three of em. The woman was out in the yard when I come. She and the girl was walking round kind of aimless-like. And the young feller, her husband, ain't he? Mr. Walter Hill is Mrs. Hill's son. He married his cousin, the young lady you saw, Mrs. Pettibone explained. And then she added doubtfully, He seemed a very pleasant young man. Oh, he does, agreed Mrs. Orne promptly. Mighty pleasant and soft-spoken. Uh, the woman says to me when I ask for Milly, You'll find her in the kitchen, my good woman, she says. Go round back and tell Milly to give you a cup of tea. Girl, she never looked at me at all, no more'n as if I was a hop-toad. So I walked round back like I was a beggar woman. At first I told her I didn't want no tea. I had tea at home and plenty of it, thank God. Mrs. Pettibone stirred uneasily in her chair. I'm sure Mrs. Hill meant to be kind, she said, after a little silence during which the nickel clock on the shelf over her head seemed to tick angrily. "'Smooth words, but are no parsnips,' quoth the old woman oracularly. "'I wouldn't have cared nothing about her airs. But when I come round the house, I seen him, a standing bareheaded outside the kitchen window, right in a bed of flowers de Lucy was, his arms on the window sill. 
I stopped right in the middle of my tracks to see what was up. And pretty soon, along comes Milly with a tumbler of water and hands it out to him. Her hair was all curling round her face, like she'd been all let up or flustered about something. And her cheeks was as pink as apple blows. Lord! Milly is such a pretty girl, the minister's wife said softly. Pretty, echoed Mrs. Orne. Pretty ain't no name for it, I guess I know. But I wish the Lord she was humbly as a hedge fence. I wish she was all pitted up with smallpox. I've seen it spoil many handsome face in my days. Oh, Mrs. Orne, deprecated the little lady in the rush-bottomed chair. The old woman gave her a powerful look. I guess you ain't forgot already, she said. No more have I. Oh, but Mr. Hill is married, and his wife. There ain't no love lost betwixt them two, else he'd have been out walking round with her instead of talking to my Milly. But you said Milly brought him a glass of water. Surely there was no harm in that, Mrs. Pettibone insisted. And Milly, I trust Milly to know what was right, and Mrs. Orne gave vent to a great groaning sigh, which seemed to tear its way painfully from her breast. Maybe I'm an old fool, she muttered. I guess I be, after all that's come and gone. But I'm awful afeard of strangers. I'm awful afeard. There followed a heavy silence in the room, which the nickel clock on the shelf laboured to fill with its anxious ticking. Outside, long sprays of bridal wreath, just coming into snowy perfection of bloom, blew against the pane. Beyond the good brown earth of the garden, with its rows of sprouting green, was the orchard, dimly pink against a sky mottled with snow-white clouds. A bluebird flitted past, like a flash of mid-heaven, his musical gurgling streaming far behind him. Filiora Pettibone roused herself. There was an all-encircling good. Everything in nature proclaimed it. The certainty of it stirred once more strong and sweet within her breast. Milly is safe, she pronounced slowly. You mustn't be afraid. She is quite, quite safe. The old woman stared with a dull air of resentment. You mean religion, I suppose, she said sullenly. I mean God, half whispered the minister's little wife. Your Milly lives and moves and has her being in God, love, and love will not lose her. Mrs. Orne was rocking her bent old figure from side to side. That's all very well, nice religious kind of talk for them that ain't seen trouble. I used to be awful religious when my Milly was little. Every night I made her say her little prayer kneeling down by me. And every night regular I said my prayers, asking God to take care of my little girl. But there come a night when I could have cursed him to his face. He didn't take no care of my little girl. She was let to be crushed like one of them white flowers in the mud. Since I stood by her coffin with Milly a little wailing might in my arms, I ain't prayed. Oh, but... It's true. Only we don't understand. 
Mrs. Pettibone's troubled face had blanched almost to the colour of the bridal flowers tapping softly on the pane. "'We don't know,' she repeated. "'We can't, somehow. "'But God understands. "'And, oh, we must believe God. "'If we don't, oh, Mrs. Orne, "'life isn't worth living if we don't believe.' Her voice rose, filling every corner of the silent old room, like a clear wind, sent forth to penetrate and scatter dull masses of leaden fog. Milly's grandmother moved a little in her chair, as if the breath of that wind had reached and stirred her heavy thoughts. "'Tain't often I go on this way,' she apologised weakly. "'I know tain't right to be so rebellious. But Milly... Millie's all we got left, and I am awful feared of strangers. End of chapter 12